listening to the Babble Ed podcast, hosted by Jonathan Miller and Scott Linder, and brought to you by Connected Learning Partnerships. Jonathan and Scott are international educators and coaches committed to better understanding the world of learning. The Babble Ed podcast is an inquiry into why contemporary educators are grappling with the issues impacting learning in our schools and exploring how diverse approaches to leadership and coaching might offer a fresh perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Babble Ed podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Miller. And along with my co-host, as always, my good buddy, Scott Lindner. How are you doing today, Scott? Jonathan, I'm really good. I'm excited. I'm on holiday, so that also feels good. But I'm really excited to have a conversation with our guest today as well. So all in all, things are great. Awesome. Awesome. Our guest today is a wonderful woman by the name of Helen Morgan. She's the executive director of her own company, HM Education Consultancy. She provides high-quality training, coaching, and consultancy support in a range of UK and international contexts. She is a lead consultant, coach, and trainer with a number of global organizations and holds senior practitioner coaching accreditation with the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. She is passionate about the importance of developing people and building professional learning communities. Helen, did I get all of that? (laughs) Yeah, that that sounds very long-winded, doesn't it? But good morning to you both. (laughs) How are you doing over in the UK? Yeah, really good. In the UK, we're glad to be into February, January, over here in a very, very long month. I think it has about 6,433 days. <laughs> the topic of our babble today is high-functioning teams. Um, it's something that, you know, Scott and I get the opportunity to, we're kind of in that space constantly with the, the amount of teams that we work with in our, in our given professions and what we do on a day-to-day basis. So just to jump in with it, Helen, the work that you do, all of the knowledge that you have around working with people and developing and building professional learning communities, what is a high-functioning team to you? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because people have been interested, I think, in high-functioning teams since the dawn of time, whether that be in industry, sport, and I think increasingly in education. But for me, high-functioning team is a team that has high levels of trust. It's a team where everybody feels like they belong and has a a really important part to play in achieving the team's goal or the vision. Alongside that, it's a team where, to a large extent, they can deliver, they work together and they're focused on the goal. And they're not just focused on ticking the goal off, but they're interested in performing kind of their rules are achieving the goal to the absolute very best possible standard. And they understand the need to work together in order to do that. So it's not about superstars. Everybody matters in that kind of context. And I think, you know, it's a team that also enjoys what they're doing and tries to really thrive on the work. It becomes a passion for those people as well. And, you know, when we, when we kind of turn around and we look at sport, we can see those great sport teams. There's that fantastic book by Jim Kerr about the All Blacks. Mm-hmm. We kind of look into industry and look at those companies like Apple and Google, and there's been lots of research there. And I think it'd be really interesting to, over time, hone that down and think about what's similar in terms of education, but also what's different, what's unique. 
I'm not sure I know all the answers to that. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way we make that connection with things besides just education because I guess in my background I think about how I grew up playing in a lot of musical ensembles, right, and from the outset, like I was playing like a wind instrument and so it was about the collective sound and it took a long time as a student to sort of, as a saxophone player, you sort of always wanted to be out there in front banging out a solo, right? But it, <laughs> but to bring it back and to be part of a sound, a collective thing, is something that I still, do I say, pivot to. But I do think about what's my role here. And then when I, just listening to that intro around high-functioning teams, it is that collective, isn't it? That there's pride in the collective. There's my role in it that I feel good about. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely think that, and I think, you know, that's that's a really lovely analogy, that idea about how does a team find its sound, because that's about the culture that you create within your team, isn't it, and making sure that everybody feels like they belong in that team, that you haven't got outliers, that everybody, no matter how big or small their part is, has a part to play in, in really kind of making things work if you've got somebody who's out of tune in an orchestra it stands out yeah a mile doesn't it when i was at school you go back to your childhood don't you in school plays i was always the narrator i was always hugely disappointed to get that role the narrator is the person who holds the story together and makes the connections between different parts of the story as a child i always wanted the part where, you know, you were front and centre and you could sing, <laughs> even though I can't sing a note. <laughs> we yeah. can all sing, Helen. We can all sing. Yeah, that that notion in... of culture is really important, isn't it, and finding that sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scott, you mentioned all the different instruments and having that one collective sound. I know in John Maxwell wrote a book called The 17 Essential Qualities of a Team Player or of Team Players. And he talked about the importance of a team being many voices, but a single heart. I think just kind of coming in there as well, you know, that word together, Jonathan, is a word Mm. that we don't hear a lot in education. Mm. And particularly when we talk about Mm. school teams, togetherness has huge value, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But it's not something that we talk about, I think, a lot in terms of the way that teams work. And I think there's real value in, in maybe giving that more consideration what does it mean to be together? How mm-hmm. together is your team? Because if you can bring people together and get them moving in the same direction, that's when it becomes really, really powerful because actually you get a movement for change rather than perhaps a diktat from a, a leader telling everybody that they have to change. And yeah. I think one of the things that interests me when I work with schools and people will often ask me the question, What's the difference between a good school and a great school? And for me, in good schools, everybody often is compliant. There are elements of commitment. But when it becomes a great school, that that commitment is really tangible. You can feel it when you walk through the doors. It's in every conversation Mm -hmm. and every single thing that people do. You know, from how you welcome students at the door and the smile, that you give them that says welcome to my classroom mm-hmm. to where that kind of a leader just acknowledges something that a member of, of staff has done even if that's done really quietly the level of commitment is really authentic 
genuine and, and, and sincere. That's a really good segue. So like, you know, as a leader, what do you need to do to ensure that the right conditions are in place for teams to function at a high level? Yeah, I think, I mean, again, there's so much interest in this about what are the the conditions and what is the climate for success. Mm -hmm. And I think pretty much everything you read, whether it, it be kind of in education, industry, sport, starts with trust and how you actually build trust within the team, how alongside that, whilst you build the trust, you build that sense of safety so that people feel psychologically safe yeah. and are prepared to take those risks. And they know that if they make a mistake, the goal is, okay, what do we learn from that? Mm -hmm. That there isn't a blame culture evident. And I think, you know, if, if you take that a, a step further, you've got that idea of trust. You've got that idea of feeling really safe. How do you make that happen yeah. as a leader? And I think that's where you've got to kind of start to begin to look at your routines, your norms, your expectations, and particularly how you communicate. There's a lovely quotation from George Bernard Shaw. I'm probably going to misquote it, but it, it goes something along the lines of the biggest illusion was the fact that communication ever took place. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and I think... As a leader, you've got to communicate really well, but you've got to have two-way communication. So as well as you communicating, you've got to listen. Yeah, absolutely. There's no one perfect equation. It's about finding new ways, isn't it, as a leader as well? Mm -hmm. There's some really interesting work from Boyatzis on your ideal self as a leader and also kind of your real self as a leader. And I think often when we think about leadership and we think about managing teams, we think about managing other people. Mm -hmm. We talk about the challenges of managing other people. I think probably, in my experience anyway, that the biggest challenge in leadership is probably managing yourself and trying Absolutely. to be really self-aware of your own actions and your own behaviours and your own communication and the impact that that has on those around you and really taking some time to sometimes reflect on that that's something that perhaps we don't spend enough time doing uh -huh. yeah so helen we've spoken before around a lot of literature on leadership and high functioning teams comes from industry and then thinking specifically about schools then the need for a high functioning team sometimes emerges from a maybe a larger culture of like low output or not all of the desired states that the literature might say, oh, here's what you need. So, But there might be a team that's working really well, has the high levels of trust. And the thing I'm taking away from this is a, a genuine sense of togetherness. I like that expression. Then what support might a leader be paying attention to people needing if that team is working so well, but then needing to then go and work in a different context than they're sort of a little isolated what the desired state is but their day-to-day -day off existence is not maybe that i think that's yeah, an interesting yeah. thing to explore yeah i think i mean again it's really interesting because obviously i don't work in industry so i'm not sure about how unique that is to education but i think your point that often you might have a team working really well together then they go off and, and work on something else um how do you sustain that how do you recreate it Mm. in a different team is challenging. And I suppose as a leader, I think 
one of the things you've got to do is is really notice things and observe. So one of the analogies that I often use is off pitch as a leader and just, you know, what's happening when that team is working really well. And then, you know, if you take the, the soccer analogy or the football analogy, taking some time to think about what are the one or two things that you want to take from that into the next mm. scenario. And if you step off the pitch and you observe, then you're more likely to kind of notice the things that are helping that team to work, not just mm. well, but really well, or the things that might be getting in the way. And I think if you take that kind of a step further and you think about moving from thing to thing, which we do in education a lot, don't we? We're always moving from thing to thing and staying on the same thing can be be really hard. When I watch a good teacher teach, one of the things that they do really, really well is they make connections and they make transitions between parts of the lesson beautifully, mm. don't they? Mm. And I'm just thinking about that and thinking about when you work with good leaders they're kind of really stepping back they're kind of having a look at what's happening and maybe there's room to just take time to reflect and pause more and think about how we make those connections and those transitions to the next thing and actually involve people in that you know give them a voice I think again if you go back to a lot of the research on high functioning teams it is about giving everybody some airtime mm. and making sure you listen to everybody and then making decisions or deciding how you move forward based on what you've heard. So it's about making the right decision at the end, not having the right decision at the start. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sometimes a challenge for leaders. They feel like they need to be in charge. They need to be decisive. But being decisive doesn't mean that you don't have to listen. Mm -hmm. Just staying with that for a moment and that analogy getting off the pitch, I wonder if there's something in also the role of a leader to make things known that it's not as urgent as it might feel. So that part of slowing down to go fast is like, is it really as urgent? And so by stopping the doing, I suppose, if that's the off the pitch thing and, and listening and observing, that, that in and of itself does sort of slow it down, right? Because it's not always, maybe I'm self-identifying here, but I think it's like it's not as urgent as it might be. Like you want the momentum, but it's not urgent. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's probably three things that I'd kind of draw from what you say in there. The, the first one is kind of about urgency. I think urgency is often confused with busyness. Mm -hmm. Is busy effective? And for me, you go whether you're a teacher or a school leader, is not to be busy, it's to be really effective. I think when we think about kind of momentum and that idea that you just talked about there about having good momentum, in education we're obsessed, aren't we, with pace. So we talk about, you know, fast-paced lessons, accelerated learning. Yeah. <laughs> but actually the, the aim is for the pace to be right. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be at the right pace to achieve and secure the things that you want to secure rather than that frenetic pace where there's no time to pause and reflect and think, you know, is it working? It might be happening, but is it working? Because that's the important question. Yeah. And then I think, you know, if I, I kind of pulled a third thing out of, of what you just talked about there, we're often kind of chasing a goal, 
but we need to think about sustainability, don't we? We need to think about the long term in education. Mm-hmm. We talk about sustainability in every aspect of our lives at the moment, apart yeah. from in education. So as a leader, when we're thinking about leading a team, maybe we need to think about the long-term sustainability of the team's impact and possibly a slower build so that we build something that's going to last and really think about that idea of the legacy that we want to create. And I think for me, kind of those three ideas of busier, effective, Uh momentum, or pace, or short-term, or sustainable, are really interesting things for leaders to think about when they're developing their own teams and working with them. I think it connects Mm. back to the piece, too, about, you know, you mentioned that it seems like from year to year, there's a constant change of, like, this this is the new thing this year, and then what's going to be the new thing, like, next year, right, and the year following that. And it's, you know, one of the things that I think leaders need to look at, too, is, you know, are those conditions being provided if there's constant change and teams need to learn how to do something new that might not have any longevity at all? You know, it's uh, it might fizzle out in six months and then where are you at? It's that kind of, again, it's deciding, isn't it, what you're going to do and deciding what you're not going to do. Again, taking the kind of the, ex- the extreme views of pace and momentum, what are you spending your time doing? Because spending is short term. You spend it and it's gone. You invest time mm-hmm. in things. And what you should see is a longer term return. And there's always an element, isn't there, of, you know, you have to do some short term things to get to the long term things. Mm-hmm. But I think if all you're doing is the quick wins and the low hanging fruit, mm. it's going to be really hard to get to that real high quality goal at the end and a high functioning team I think really takes its time to to shape the goal to shape the vision together mm-hmm. and maybe not to think about the prize so it's not about the gold medal or just the best results it's about thinking about what kind of learners do we want to develop here because they're the learners that we're going to send out into the world in 5 10 12 years time it's much better to invest in the young people to develop really well-rounded young people who have a balance between academic qualifications that they need to open doors, but also the human skills that they need and the the human qualities. It's always about coming back to that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, I've I've interviewed loads of teachers in in my time as an educator, and people always tell you three things when they're interviewed. You get that question, don't you, at the start when you go for your job? Why do you want the job? (laughs) And people tell you, people tell you three things. They tell you they love their subject. They tell you that they love working with young people and children. And they tell you that they want to make a difference. And I think for me, keeping that focus on the third one of those, Mm -hmm. making a difference and really developing those, you know, those young people who are going to thrive not just whilst they're in school, but for the for the rest of their lives, that's really attractive. And if that's your team goal, that's a pretty good one in my book. Yeah, you never hear um, the, I want this job and I want to work because I really want to work with this team of adults. <laughs> yeah. And again, the, the welcome that you get from the team when yeah. you arrive in the school tells you whether you want to work there or mm. not, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. about kind of, you know, when you go and sit in the staff room, and you're on an interview and 
nobody comes and sits next to you and you're left in the corner on your own. Is that somewhere you want to work? If someone comes over and chats to you and offers you a cup of tea, you're kind of sitting there going, this feels like a really good place. Or you walk into reception on your day, you know, two or three staff just say hello and, and give you eye contact as you walk past. And I think when we think about high-functioning teams, it's tempting, isn't it, just to to get like drawn into the big things. But often it's the really small things that mm. make teams really effective. That somebody just notices that somebody's a bit off that day and just yeah. asks that question really quietly. You okay today? Because you know, I don't know about you, but like. I think my aspiration is to be high functioning mm-hmm. every day. I probably set that every new year. But we're human. Our function ebbs and flows. And what we've got to try and do for ourselves is create the conditions where we can be at our best more of the time. Yeah. And make sure that we're at, at our best at the right times as well. And yeah. that's quite hard. But the team around you can really help that. Mm-hmm. Early on, we talked about a sense of togetherness, and that would be, it's not all big things, like those small things. That's a way you know the team is together, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah. the care, I suppose, and the, the human connection is really present. I think back to the, the first team I ever worked in, and I worked in a school in West Yorkshire. It was a great team. I stayed there for, for six years. I was really happy. But at lunchtime, we always ate together. We always had lunch as a team. We had a, an enormous tea pot and we had a, a cup of tea. And, you know, and we had a laugh most of the time. But in amongst the laugh, we were passing work around, talking about work, talking about problems, figuring out those problems together. Again, if you come back to that work, word, word together. And I love to go to work there. Mm-hmm. And outcomes over time really improved. But I think that was because we were going together as a team. We wanted to do really well for the students. And when we hit a problem, we tried to just figure it out. And, you know, everybody had a a voice in that team. John Webster, he was a great, give him a shout out, he was a great head of department. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, John. I think that's a good place to wrap up today. Really quickly before we come to the close, one of the things that we that Scott and I do like to ask our guests is, uh, what is the best conversation that you've had this week? <laughs> I could give you a really serious conversation, but it probably isn't the one that stayed with me. The one that stayed with me, I was going to go to London. It, it wasn't this week. It was at the end of last week. And I, I did that thing that you do before you kind of go somewhere. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, I need a haircut. My hair's a mess. (laughs) So I decided to go to the hairdressers and and have a haircut. And the same same, uh, woman cuts my hair all the time, so she knows me reasonably well. (laughs) We were having this conversation. I said, my hair doesn't ever seem to get any longer. It just gets bigger. Um, (laughs) And she was like, yes, but she said, the thing that I've noticed, Helen, is you have more hair on one side of your head than (laughs) on the other side of the head. So at that point, I just thought, how rude. <laughs> I can't believe you just told me that. I kind of looked at it and I think, uh, I said to her, kind of, well, you know, pay you to sort out my hair. Maybe you need to sort out how I'm going to have more hair on the other side of my yeah. head. <laughs> when you say you've um, noticed, so for how long have you noticed that? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now I keep looking in the mirror thinking, 
have I got more hair on one side than my head? And like, How can you tell that? <laughs> so she needs to cut it more evenly next time. <laughs> anyway, those conversations. What about you, Scott? Well, I, we mentioned at the start, so we're, we're privileged to be on holidays here in uh, China, right, with the Spring Festival. But I think back over the weekend, one of the things that stayed with me, we were privileged to, in the in the last week at school, to be doing some interviews for learning leaders and st- setting up the next year, talking about a sustainable pace of change, thinking about the year to come. And I guess I, I would just shout out to all the people that, that I had a conversation with who were focused on how the role of leading learning was about making connections and then making it easier for connections between subjects to happen. And I was paying attention to how we might know we're heading in the right direction. And it was without exception, people were talking about that importance of a connection between their subjects. So not just that I'm a subject expert, but that my role was to to make connections between subjects. And I was like, I just, I just, I was interviewing with another another person, the two of us, and at the end of the day, which was a long day of conversation, we were both energized. Just, you know, educators out there having a really honest look at, at how we can do things better for students. Shout out to all of those people who then in turn left us feeling really great about the space we're in. So it's not a haircut story, but it did make me feel <laughs> good and smile. <laughs> Mine would have to be we're at the dinner table and typically I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. You know, typically they both want to tell us all of the stories at the same time and they're trying to shout over each other. So at one point, like I needed to stop the conversation and then wipe the tears out of my eyes because I'm laughing so hard. So I have my one son who's yelling at the top of his lungs about why Boba Fett is better than the Mandalorian. And then my daughter is talking to me about the difference between unicorns and earth ponies. And I'm just getting (laughs) flooded with all of this, all of this information. So yeah. So anyway, what I learned about Earth ponies and unicorns was amazing. And also apparently Boba Fett is better than the Mandalorian. That was the funnest conversation outside of this one that I've had. all week. So anyway, that was mine. Thank you very much again, Helen, for joining us today. She's going to be joining us in our next episode. Again, this is a two-part episode about high-functioning teams. So she'll be back with us very, very soon. Thanks so much for your time today. You're always a fountain of knowledge and Love picking your brain and asking you some questions and having the opportunity for you to share insight. It's I always gain so much from it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. I'm with Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole podcast in that. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Babylon. Babylon. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Babylon Podcast. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. You can connect with Jonathan and Scott via Twitter at JFJMiller and at Lynn Scott or through connectedlearningpartnerships.com.